Now let's transition to, I think what we hit here is the, the scale point or the inflection point. So you found the right customer, you found the right way to approach the market, but then you were saying that you were a victim of your own success. And to me, that's the alarm bell that like, we hit scale, demand's going through the roof, ah, we can't keep up. So tell me about that journey. Yeah, and the reason I made that statement is if we, I, I call it, or used to call it the gift that keeps giving, right? Mm. It's just one part of the, the vision that we had. And if you're very successful there, then perhaps it comes at the cost of something else because we're still, uh, at least at that time, uh, a smaller company and your go-to-market is focused on what drives ARR and, and revenue, right? Mm. So, so that's why I use that term. It's not because we didn't want to do that. We wanted to serve both personas. Ultimately, mm -hmm. we want to build a platform that any user can come in and build anything from, from scratch and do it really well. So that pivot was hard, though, mm -hmm. for the simple reason that uh, because we built a really good set of pre-built integrations. Yeah. Customers just kept coming back to us and asking for more and more, more features there. Uh, so both on the product side and, and the go-to-market side, it was hard to make that pivot, but we did. Uh, I think maybe in hindsight, that pivot should have been a little bit harder and more disciplined mm -hmm. than it was back in the day, going back to maybe 2018, 2019. But it happened, and I well, think in the end, it, it all worked out pretty well. But let me ask you, though. So, so you had success. You had product market fit. You had customers coming to you wanting these pre-built workflows, um, asking for more. Why did you feel the need to pivot then away from that? Simple reason, TAM. The, oh. the TAM for the pre-built was much smaller than the promise of a platform that can solve, can automate any use case mm. across any set of apps, in any vertical, in any department, any line of business for any size company. Mm. That's a massive, massive term, but it's a hard problem to, to solve, right? To, yeah. to have a horizontal platform, and this is the typical platform play, right? It's not easy to go build a platform. You gotta make it easy enough, but by definition, it's horizontal. It's meant to be generic. Mm -hmm. And at least in what we do, the promise is you can connect any app, any data source, any uh, outside trading partner mm -hmm. uh, in your supply chain, so on and so forth. Single platform, we can handle any use case. So let me ask you, the, the platform, were these the tools that you were using internally to build the pre-built workflows? Precisely, yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. It, it's just like if a customer were to have built it. So this is a great strategy, right? If you're gonna build a platform, don't just throw a bunch of tools at people. You start with this, the theme park strategy, you start building these, these you know, bespoke solutions and continue to invest in your tooling right? Building the platform to eat your own dog food. Back to this again. So you ate your own dog food. You built the suite of tools that you needed to build the pre-builts. Then you just 
pulled back the curtain and said, okay, this is now ready for prime time. Did you have to add on to that layers of, you know, training or, or, you know, what did you have to add to it in order to invite an outsider in and, and get the same level of success that you could internally? Yeah, I think it's, it's all those, right? It's, I would say it really starts with usability. Mm-hmm. Again, in a platform play, if someone logs in for the first time, signs up, logs in to the app, is it clear as to, well, I, have, I came here with perhaps a certain workflow or two in mind. Is it clear as to how they can get it done? Is the product going to guide you through that? Mm-hmm. Is, it, is it going to ask you the right questions, give you the right prompts? Or is it going to welcome you with a blank screen with a palette, right? We've all been through this back in the day. You've yeah. got all the widgets. They're really pretty, the icons. You drag it and you have no idea what to do, which means then you have to go get trained before you can use the product. So our mantra, and, and this was really important for us when we entirely replatformed is, look, someone should be able to come in and not have to go through training or necessarily read the documentation, watch videos. The product should be intuitive enough. Hmm. Now, did that happen from day number one? Not really. Some users could figure it out and some users would be like, I have no idea how to do this. And so then you, you have to learn or we have to learn and make it better. So I would say the most important thing is in the product itself, in this day and age, the experience that users want, whether you're technical or not so technical or not technical at all, is the product should guide you. So, so that's important. And then, of course, all the other stuff that goes with it, right? Good documentation, good videos. Uh, and, and of course, uh, as of recently, I'm going to say the last two, three years, really good training, university courses. That's something that we did really well. I think we started the Saligo University five years back, and that's been a tremendous success oh, wow. so that customers wow. can go get certified, multiple levels, so on and so forth. Wow. So this is, this is like a master class here in how to build a platform, um, and I'm... I'm got a lot of clients that I need to send this episode to afterwards who are trying to build broad platforms and, and uh, this is the way to do it. So you start off providing a service, really getting in you know, close to your customers and trying to understand their use cases and building these very bespoke solutions for it. Then building a, a suite of tools bespoke that solve those workflows for them while building out the toolkit underneath until that gets mature enough that you can now present it to people to solve their own problems. But one that you've already ironed out a ton of the kinks because you've been using it internally for for many years. But then also now, what's the level of of guidance, of tutorials, of usability, uh, and training on top of it to make a platform actually usable? And that's, I think, really the the thing that, that makes most platform plays fail is they're just they're just too messy, they're not, they're too clunky, they take too much time and energy to learn, and there's only a very, very small sliver of people who actually really enjoy just tinkering and figuring things out, or their pain is so acute that they're willing to put up with it. But for the vast majority, and especially if you're going after a large TAM, which companies that try to build platforms are typically doing it because they're trying to go after a large TAM. 
then you need to make it easy to use. <laughs> yeah. Seems simple, but very hard to execute. So, yeah. I mean, look, right. The, the larger the TAM is, the harder the problem is. Because yes. you have to satisfy so many different use cases, so many different needs, users, so on and so forth. Real quick, just getting back to the, the dog food mm-hmm. analogy. Typically, that's used when a, a SaaS company is using that product internally for, their, mm-hmm. for running their own business. Mm-hmm. So certainly, we did that from day number one, and we're still the best representation of our product to run Sidigo now, what, almost 800 employees. Mm. But there's a difference between that kind of eating your own dog food to then the pre-built mm-hmm. integrations that were shrink-wrapped, which were used by hundreds of customers, right? So that's, that's another level because it's not just we're using it for us. We can live with that minor fault what have you, when customers start using it and they're all using it and they're all different businesses, that really gives you a fair bit of feedback that's pretty concentrated in one area. There are pros and cons there, but but that was pretty useful for us as well. Yeah, yeah, excellent. Yeah, and obviously, right, once you have real customers who actually care, they're invested in it, then uh, you got to continue to make them happy and continue to enhance the product while trying to go after additional markets, which is one of the biggest challenges of, of growing a business. So, so now you're in that, that scale stage. What are some of the new challenges that you're dealing with at this level? Yeah, so right now we're going through a fairly significant go-to-market transformation. It's less to do on the product side and more to do with how we go to market, mm-hmm. uh, starting with what kind of a customer do we want to acquire? Are we disciplined in that? Uh, is it based on customer size? Is it based on certain verticals or the type of use cases that they want to solve or their maturity when it comes to automating these business processes? So that's uh, a key factor. Then how do we sell? What's our sales process? How do we expand? Because it's very much a land and expand model, right? As you can imagine with the, with the platform, uh, any typical co- uh, company buying our product uh, may have 15, 20 integrations in mind, but they can't do it all at the same time. So they start smaller and then they want to be able to expand. And, and then maybe a, a harder thing is also um, sometimes... Uh, you might have some small customers that you love dearly, but who may not necessarily be a fit. And and sometimes you might have to part ways with, with some of those customers as, as well. Uh, not intentionally, but uh, it's just a, an evolution. And it's something that you have to factor in when you, if, if you want a, a go-to-market transformation like this to really succeed. So So that's one big area that we've been working on over the last 12 months. So I, and, I call that pruning the bush. Yes. Right? Sometimes you got to prune the bush if you want it to grow. You can't just have it all <laughs> scraggly and go in different directions. And letting go of customers that you've outgrown or even a market segment that you've outgrown is one of the most challenging things for, for many founders to do. Um, but a lot of times they hold you back. 
They, they, they do, and I think it's more of a focus thing rather than real costs because it's not like uh, the way our product has been designed, it's just pennies on the dollar in terms of the actual usage costs, right? So, so that's not a concern. You, you could argue that maybe customer support might be a factor. Uh, but overall, it's that's not what's really holding us back. It's just having... I know this sounds like a cliche, right? But having a laser focus mm -hmm. is so hard because we'll say something and then, well, we want to hang on to everything that we we have, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and you, being disciplined. I think we've done a good job. Uh, I am pretty pleased with where we are. Certainly, room for improvement, but this is this is a big transformation for us. So that's interesting and maybe even a little counterintuitive. So we, I think many of us recognize that in the early stages, it is all about focus because you just simply don't have the resources to do more than one thing. Um, I, always, <laughs> I always use the quote from, uh, from Ron Swanson from Parks and Rec, uh, never half-ass two things, whole-ass one thing. <laughs> <laughs> and I've got to use that a lot because it, it comes up whether it's you know, multiple customer personas, uh, multiple strategies, multiple products, um, multiple marketing channels, go-to-market strategies, you know, really honing in and focusing, especially in the early stages, is so crucial because every time you split anything, any factor, you're multiplying the amount of work that needs to be done. And you're multiplying the amount of decisions that need to be made because everything is interconnected. But what you're saying is that even at the larger scales, when you'd normally think, okay, now we're expanding and we're broadening and we're going after different markets, but you're saying that we still have to, to hone in and focus. A hundred percent. At least based on our journey, I would say that the larger we've gotten, I, well, first off, I'm going to say it's, it's a blessing to be able to say this, that we have so many different ways we can grow the business. Mm -hmm. uh, and that is mostly a pro, but sometimes it can be a con as well, because then you have to be very focused, disciplined in deciding, we're gonna grow the business this way, we're gonna take this path in, in go to market, and here's why, you have to be able to defend that. And then you, shouldn't try to do too many things. And certainly I think we have in the past, we've learned from it. I think we are better for it, but it's always a work in progress. Yeah. So now that, now that you're, you're, you're getting up in this scale, um, I, I guess I want to shift gears just a little bit because I always love hearing about, uh, well, I'm, I'm a, a, you know, a leadership geek. So um, I'd love to hear, do you have any strong leadership principles that you use internally and then also sort of share with your team? Yeah. So I think it's not like I'm going to say I've got three things that matter and I'm going to rattle them off in a, in a polished manner. I've learned a ton in the last 18 years being an entrepreneur running multiple companies. And depending on the situation, these just surface up naturally. So if I were to just mention maybe a few, I'm really big on being fair and consistent. 
with how I work with not only employees, but customers. One of my favorite sayings is always try to put yourself in the other party's shoes. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're negotiating with a customer, with a partner, how does that sound if you were on the other side? Does that sound fair? Is it consistent? And along those lines, also the ability to listen. Uh, we all have ideas. Uh, I'm always bursting to get my thoughts out. But uh, perhaps a while back, I didn't listen as much as I should. Now I'm very careful in, in doing that. So, so these are just some ways of saying that you evolve as a leader. And if I were to look back, I think I got to be on version seven, eight by now. I'm not the leader that I was two years back. Um, yeah. Yeah. Being able to make tough decisions, I think back in the day I would I would push that out, especially when it comes to people, and you know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Now I don't shy away from it, and, and I have this uh, saying with with some of my other senior leaders: if I have to part ways with someone, uh, I care about all my leaders, and and. I know they've worked hard. I've handpicked them. But if I've come to that conclusion, I don't really take this lightly. Uh, I have a clear rationale. And then it, it feels good to be able to do that because you know ultimately you're doing the right thing for the business, even though it's going to be painful in the moment. Yeah, yeah. So that's actually really poignant. Um, and I think a good note to, to kind of wrap up on uh, you know the 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 tech economy has been through a bit of a roller coaster last year or so, and a lot of people are unfortunately having to downsize right now. Um, and even the ones that are doing well, they're getting a lot of pressure, typically from investors, to um, to let go of some of their underperformers or just the ones that you know have sort of grown away from the company. And it really is, I think, the hardest thing for for anybody to do um, is to let people go. But unfortunately, in kind of the perspective I try to give is when you hold on to those people, you're actually hurting everybody else at the company because that creates risk and liability. And especially if that person is a position of leadership, they could potentially take down the company. And if they do, well, how many people do you have at your company? That's how many families that you're impacting by not making that that tough decision. So if you had advice for your younger self and for other, uh, you know, founders that are out there about letting people go, um, what would it be? If there's one thing I would say, make sure it's not a surprise to that person. Mm -hmm. Early on in my career, when I had to part ways with senior leaders, um, the way I did it, the fact that I didn't give them sufficient feedback along the way, and it, mm-hmm. while not entirely a surprise, uh, the fact that they might be surprised by the timing, for example, mm-hmm. they might know things are not going well, but they're still like, gosh, why now? So these are things that I try to correct along the way, uh, 
to give feedback as much as possible. I take the annual review process super seriously. I put in a lot of time to give all my leaders plenty of feedback on on areas that they need to work on. And then throughout the year, just want to make sure that we are in in constant contact on on what's working, what's not. Uh, n- not in a in a micromanagement type way, but if things aren't going well, you th- these are not easy conversations to have, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, let's face it, we are all human, and we would much rather have the easy conversation than saying, "Hey, Swan, so I got to talk to you." The this part of your job's not going well because mm-hmm. people get defensive. So I think that's the one thing that I would say is don't make it a surprise. Oh, I love it. So um, this is a really critical part of my, my coaching work. And there's a few books that I always recommend. Number one is Radical Candor, uh, which is what we're talking about it's here. Right there. You, you got it right there. Yeah. yeah. So how do you actually say what needs to be said so that you actually help people grow and, uh, and don't set them up for failure? Um, two is crucial conversations, which is like, how do you actually kind of get up the, the courage to, to say what needs to be said kind of goes a long line with, with radical candor. And another one is thanks for the feedback, which is kind of a systematic approach to, to having feedback be kind of like baked into the way your company works. Um, and just, it, it takes a lot of the emotion and, and some of the, uh, reluctance out of it. It just makes it like, this is what we do. We give feedback. This is how we do it. We've got these systems in place. Um, so you kind of marry those together. And then the fourth one maybe is nonviolent communication, which is how do you make it not personal and not aggressive, but actually help them um, you know, understand where you're coming from, which is a place of, of care. And, and, and that compassion. one's sometimes a little hard to, to nail because people do get defensive. And I always ask for feedback about myself as, as well, right? Mm-hmm. So at least if you have a forum, if, if I'm... If the other party feels like I'm critiquing them, I want to make sure that they can critique me as well and that we can have an open conversation. Yep. Awesome. Uh, amazing, right? So it goes both ways. Um, and we're here, obviously, with the same goal in mind, which is to is to be successful and help grow the business and help develop them. And, and if you set those expectations and you are open and transparent about it and they fail to meet those expectations, then when the time comes, it's, hey, we, we all knew this was coming. Yeah. And then it makes Precisely. that decision easier. And in fact, I'll say this too, because I'm dealing with this a lot these days. It ends up being a relief most of the time on both sides. So a lot of times when somebody is really failing and they're getting the constant feedback and they're still not being successful, there's so much stress and anxiety that goes along with that, that they're miserable. And by the time that conversation finally comes, it's like, you know what? I feel that way too. And it ends up being a lot more amicable of a separation. I've, I've seen it not, not every single time, but I've yeah. seen it more and more, honestly. Yeah. 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 Well, Hey, we, I, I, I could keep talking to you for quite a long time, but, uh, we're, we're running out of time here. Uh, Jan, thank you so much for being here today. It's really been a pleasure. Uh, this has been an amazing conversation. 